0: We are the champions, again, again. It's Mish again, again, next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Let's <laughs> for Anthony Carter. score.
1: Can't hey, hey, they caught. can a
0: hard no one. No one. Brady gets to Roofing. it, and a touchdown night again! Schultz, just before Brazil got him, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh,
1: back to throw, over the middle,
0: caught by Collins at the 5 on his feet, touchdown again. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at
1: Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler.
0: And here's your first play, pressure coming, Second. it is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic, option, and Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score! Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan! We're gonna win the championship again because we're gonna play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's gonna be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast, and history has been achieved. And when we're talking about the winningest program in the history of the greatest sport, college football, it ain't easy to achieve history around here. I mean, Michigan's been making history since 1879, and over the course of uh, those many, many decades and generations has really set the bar for a lot of college football history or been among the bar setters. So when you are part of When you are part of an era that has a unique amount of excellence in the history of uh, the illustrious history of Michigan football, it is worth noting. Therefore, it is worth giving their flowers, giving the propers to this era of Michigan football. What it has accomplished is something that's never been done, never been done in the glorious history of Michigan football. For the first time ever, the Wolverines have won not one, not two, but three undisputed, that's the key word, undisputed, three undisputed Big Ten championships in a row. Yost didn't do it. Chrysler didn't do it. Oosterbahn didn't do it. Bo didn't do it. Lloyd didn't do it. These are some of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. Everyone I just mentioned is in the College Football Hall of Fame. None of them. None of them were able to win three undisputed Big Ten championships in a row, but Jim Harbaugh has done it. And it's not, that would be impressive enough. But consider that Jimmy did this on the heels of an extinction level event. He should have been fired after 2020. He should have been. And if he were anybody other than the most decorated quarterback in the history of this program, he would have been. But Word Manuel gave him a haircut and another chance. And Jimmy has absolutely made the most of it. The longest winning streak against Big Ten competition in program history. That's right. Longer than Yost. Longer than Chrysler. Longer than Oosterbon. Longer than Bo, Longer than Lloyd. Now, the most consecutive Big Ten undisputed championships in program history as well. The only two Michigan football teams to go 13-0 and are these last two Michigan football teams. The only three Michigan football teams to win 12 games in a season are these last three Michigan football teams. The last time Michigan was number one in the AP poll was the 1997 National Championship poll. Michigan's never been number one in the college football playoff rankings. They are now. No Big Ten team had ever finished the year number one in the college football playoff rankings. Until Michigan has now. This is rarefied air. And when you consider everything that's gone on with this program, some self-inflicted, much of it targeted, to overcome all of those distractions, and then with the advent of social media where these distractions are at your fingertips constantly as a young player, the culture that's been built here, this this is one of the greatest resurrections. In college football history, it is it is very rare that a coach gets to build a program up, watch it fall back down, and then get to build it back up again. Most of the time, if you build it up and it falls down, you don't get a chance to build it up again. Even more rare is when you are given a chance to build it back up again, and you do. I can only think of two coaches in modern times that were able to do this. Barry Alvarez did it at Wisconsin. Bill Snyder did it at Kansas State. Well, now Jim Harbaugh has done it here at Michigan and maybe the greatest compliment you can give to him is the is the foundation he laid is so solid that it it was able to win its biggest games of the regular season when he wasn't even on the sidelines and then against Iowa Michigan ends up out Iowa Iowa both teams sucked on offense both teams were great on defense and special teams Michigan just did it with better players and wins 26 to nothing it's only the second shutout In the history of the Big Ten Championship game, Michigan has won the last three Big Ten Championship games by an average score of 37 to 8. I hope all of you watching this enjoy it. Because it's also happening with an incredible cast of young men. Whether you're dealing with J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, so many other players on this team, Mike still. We're talking about high quality high character young men. One moment I'll never forget is when Zach Zinner goes out with a Joe theismann like injury, nearly a half an hour of mourning and grief as he's being carted off the field and it interrupts the game, and on the very next play, Blake Corm for the largest or the longest run of the day against Ohio State, flashing the six five to the camera as he reaches the end zone. That pretty much is the epitome of this program, what it's become and who these players are. We may never see anything like this at Michigan football ever again, because some of these are things we've never seen at the university of Michigan with its illustrious football program ever before. How many of you like money? Cause if you do a great way to make some is to support us on Patreon for just $5 a month. For example, if you were part of our Patreon back on May 27th, when I put out my annual college football win total best bets, you would have gone an absolutely outstanding eight and three on those college football win total best bets this year. In fact, all time on our Patreon page since we debuted in 2017, I'm 37-17-1. and one. That's 68% in college football preseason win total best bets Best five bucks you ever spent. A lot of times people ask, hey, what can we do to help support what you guys do on Michigan Podcast and Bigger Ten? Well, that's the best thing to do. Five bucks a month and you might make some money as well. Especially, we're off to a hot start with our college basketball picks to start the year too. So please consider supporting us today at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. It's just $5 and you may end up making a lot more than that. Patreon.com slash michigan podcast patreon.com slash michigan podcast and thank you to all of you that are supporting us already we greatly appreciate it patreon.com slash michigan podcast well let's get another viewpoint from our good friend mark rogers with our own little 10-minute war our homage to the 10-year war between woody and Bo. mark has a fantastic channel Right here on YouTube, the voice of college football with correspondents and stringers from teams across the country. Always good to see you, brother. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Steve. Going to have to suffer through a college football playoff without the Buckeyes.
0: Somehow, we Michigan fans will muddle through. We'll make it through. It'll be difficult, but we'll suffer alongside. You know what? Let's talk Buckeyes before we talk about Michigan for for uh, for a moment, if you don't mind. Um, we're seeing Michigan, or Ohio State players, including the starting quarterback, enter the portal. What's going on right now in Columbus? I mean, on the, the Michigan media is making a lot about the fact there's no Michigan players in the portal. Well, Michigan is still playing, okay? I mean, it, if, Michigan's, if Michigan had lost to Ohio State and wasn't in the playoff, a lot of guys who are rethinking their futures and whether they're going to play here next year, they'd be flirting with the portal as well. So, you know, I'm not so much concerned about those kinds of numbers. When you have a high-end roster like Michigan and Ohio State, you're going to have a cut line like that every single year in this era. But clearly it raises eyebrows when one of them is your starting quarterback, who is number eight in the country in QBR.
1: Yeah, so if you look at Georgia, look at Ohio State, they both had uh, several players enter the portal. But again, you've got to look at what players are entering the portal. And for Ohio State, it's really – I'm not going to say no one significant, Julian Fleming, uh, third receiver. uh, So I was a bit surprised by that departure, uh, but Kyle McCord. So we need to understand, of course, that not all of these player decisions to go into the transfer portal come from the player themselves. And Ryan Day, in the news conference for the Missouri game, prior to the decision or the announcement by McCord, Certainly, you could read into the quarterback competition statements that he made. And many believe, including myself, that it seems somewhat apparent that Ryan Day didn't necessarily say to Kyle McCord, hey, your days here are numbered. You need to, to pack them up and leave because you're not good enough to play here. But we are going to create a competitive situation. We're going to bring somebody in. You're going to have to compete for your job. You are not. You did not perform to the level at which you can just say, Boom, we're turning around in
0: 2024 and I'm the guy. My read is someone had someone has to be held accountable for losing 3 in a row to Michigan. You and I talked last week. There's only one Ohio State coach ever that lost 3 in a row to Michigan and didn't get fired. I mean, Woody's a bit of a technicality. He wasn't good to get fired after losing 3 in a row to Michigan, then he fired himself on, you know, out there on the field at the Gator Bowl. But I think we also both understand, same thing with Gary Moeller. I mean, if Gary Moeller had gotten drunk in a suburban Detroit restaurant in May, and it was the previous, it was the year before when he went undefeated and won the Rose Bowl, they would have found a way to keep him. But he had gone, he had just lost four games for the preseason top five team. Similarly, if, if Woody had beaten Bo and was on his way to, on, it was in the Rose Bowl, Woody's probably not getting fired. That's the the ebbs, that's the ebbs and flows of, of of wins and losses counting in these, in this calculus. So you lose three in a row. So, all right, it's not Ryan Day who's getting fired, but somebody's got to go. Someone's got to be blamed. So it's going to be Kyle McCord, even though you lost the previous two with a guy who's having arguably the greatest rookie quarterback season in NFL history. It kind of seems to me that Kyle McCord's the sacrificial lamb.
1: Yeah, if Kyle McCord plays for Jim Trestle, if he plays for any Ohio State team for the most part between the Craig Krenzel uh, National Championship team onward before these three consecutive first round picks, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, then his career, his performance is looked at much differently. But you lose to Michigan. If He goes eight for twenty and loses and beats Michigan. Of course, that's assessed differently. He loses to Michigan. He throws the the interception that starts the Michigan scoring. That in, in the type of game where that was proved decisive to a certain extent. And then he throws the last pass that's intercepted that thwarts a drive that would have won the game. So it's easy to see that there's a performance drop-off. He's a more than serviceable quarterback, he's a good college quarterback. He's a top 25 quarterback in college football, but that's not the standard at Ohio State, and uh, he turned in uh, the passes that that led to another loss against. Michigan and like you say many times if the head coach is spared then they have to make changes well they weren't going to make changes on the offense or defensive sides of the ball because the defense just went through a renaissance this past season and Ryan Day is the offense so uh the the next stop is the quarterback position and in this era of transfer portal and with all the quarterbacks that we see lined up already uh this is uh, an era where you have those options
0: my view, I think there's only one quarterback in the portal. I think is clearly better than Kyle McCord. Dylan Gabriel is clearly better than Kyle McCord. Looks like he's heading to Oregon or USC at the time you and I are taping this. I don't understand the whole Cam Ward thing. He was 50th in QBR, 50th in a in a conference that plays not nearly the defense played in the in the Big Ten in a pass in, a, in an even more pass happy scheme. I I, I don't understand that, um, but uh, he's rated right now the top portal uh quarterback apparently he's got several million dollar offers or at least he's claiming that in, in terms of nil um but uh I, I i mean there's some really good quarterbacks in there I don't, I don't know i don't know that a guy that couldn't definitively win the job at kansas state is that much better than kyle mccord I, I to me dylan gabriel is the only guy in the portal right now now there might be some guys knowing that the ohio state jobs open might decide to get in the portal, or maybe Ohio State's got a heads up that some other guys are getting in the portal. But as we sit here right now, I, I kind of think Dylan Gabriel is the only guy I can definitively say right now, based on production, is better than Kyle McCord. So
1: I'll somewhat agree with that. I'll add KJ Jefferson. I think he's a better quarterback than Kyle McCord. But we also have to take into consideration everybody that we're going to name that's either arguably better than Kyle McCord or in that same category, they all have multiple years of experience. Dylan Gabriel is thrown for 10,000 yards in college football. So is Grayson McCall and KJ Jefferson, a three-year starter at Arkansas. And we could go down the list. DJ Uyangalile has been a three-year starter in big-time college football. So they all have vast experience uh, advantages over Kyle McCord. If he gets uh, put together with the right offensive system and a developer of quarterbacks, I think that is paramount for him. Uh, You know, we saw Tyler Van Dyke. I think that his growth was stunted the last two years. He also had injuries. He had a bad offensive line, not this year, but in 22. But it was Mario Cristobal and and his influenced offense, not his offense, Josh Gaddis, and then, uh, of course, a new offensive coordinator there. Uh, But it's Mario Cristobal's influence on that offense that I think stunted Tyler Van Dyke. So, there's a lot there that these, these guys are still developing. They're young players, and Kyle McCord just has a year experience. So the, the fit, not just offensively in terms of his scheme, but more so I think a quarterback uh, developer is going to be crucial for his uh, continued growth.
0: How concerned are you right now?
1: Oh, I'm concerned because Michigan is just on a, in a different place in regards to everything that surrounds a program that is intangible, concerning getting the wins and having the buy-in and the camaraderie and the teamwork that you need. And I think also the relationship between players and coaches that you need, that Jim Harbaugh does a poor job of explaining, but I, I get his what he's getting at and what is what he has talked about now for two going on three years of what they have going there at Michigan. And it's difficult to establish that and you can recruit and sign all the five stars that you want. uh, But there's a different something that is required in the ultimate team sport. This is not uh, let's go get three ace pitchers and uh, we can certainly upgrade our team or the Oakland A's. Uh, five decades ago that hated each other, but mm-hmm. they could still get the job done because they all uh, went to play uh, the, a bat with a, uh, you know, a bat in their hand by themselves. Uh, it's just a different deal. And one of the reasons why Jim Tressel said, Hey, I, I went about five to 10% would sway me in keeping in-state players in Ohio, because I knew when the going got tough, in spring practice, in August camp, during two-a-days, or whether that was a fourth quarter against Michigan, that more than likely, more than likely, it's not a rule that those guys are going to uh, you know, grit their teeth and, and knuckle up, and they're going to be the guys that are con- going to come through and give you just a little bit more.
0: Case in point is Jordan Marshall, uh, maybe the highest-rated recruit in Michigan's incoming class, um, and he was kind of recruited by Ohio State, but they had other big name tailbacks they were after. He just won Mr. Ohio, uh, Mr. Football in Ohio. And that's kind of the he's kind of the the player that uh when you look at, I mean, look who made the game-winning interception against Ohio State was Rod Moore. He grew up an Ohio State fan, never even offered him. I mean, you and I both know our history. I mean, Bo built much of his program around offering Ohio kids that either Woody Hayes lightly recruited or never even offered, you know? So let, let's talk about Michigan in the program and and where it stands. And I, I mentioned the history here for a program that has quite a history, but Jim Harbaugh has done something that Yost didn't do. Chrysler didn't do. Oostermaugh didn't do. Bo Lloyd didn't do. Three consecutive undisputed Big Ten championships – these are the only two 13 and 0 teams in Michigan history. These are the only three 12 plus win teams in Michigan history. I mean, it's really hard. When you're the coach at a program like Ohio State or Michigan, it's kind of hard to make the good kind of history because much of it's already been made before you got there, right? But but Jimmy has managed to do that. And and you know, Mark, you know your you know your history at least as well as I do. I was talking before you came on. I was trying to remember coaches that have been allowed to build a program, have it falter. And then we're able to build it back up again. Most of the time when it falters, you're out. Or they let you try to rebuild it and you can't. Think of like Hayden Fry at the end at Iowa, for example. Um, and and the only two I could think of that built it, saw it, di- saw it diminish, and then built it back were Barry Alvarez and Bill Snyder. Those were the only two. And Snyder is kind of a unique case because it wasn't concurrent, right? He left for a while, then came out of retirement, you know? Uh, Alvarez did it in real time. He built it up, saw it diminish, and then built it back That's exactly what Harbaugh has done here since 2020. I think it's one of the most incredible internal resurrections I've I've seen in modern college football history. Just three years ago at this time, there was nothing zip, zilch, nada, nothing hinting that this was coming. Nothing.
1: I'm scouring my brain, Steve, to try to refute you. Uh, You're right, Uh, just coaches don't stick around long enough or are not given the opportunity to stick around long enough. And Paterno and Bowden just won pretty much flat out right. from the time they uh, got the thing rolling. You know, you look at somebody like Pete Curl, he took off. He didn't He, he didn't stick around to try to rebound uh, from what was an off-final season. We, we get uh, an opportunity to see whether Davo Sweeney can regain the heights that he had five seasons ago in that range and be able to bring that program back. Wow. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a lot of resurrections of programs like Mac Brown did at North Carolina originally, uh, and at Texas originally, but was there a dip? Yeah, eventually, but he was out the door. Uh, so this just happened over and over over again. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I can't come up with anyone. And of course, yeah, Ron Prince, uh, kind of truncated the Bill Snyder regime. And then Bill Snyder shows just how good he is by coming back and then bringing the the program back again a second time, although not to the same heights, but from five and six win status back to solid top 25 status, his second go around.
0: Next week will be our Rose Bowl preview. We'll get, we'll get more in depth on the matchup itself and let you kind of help us break it down. But um, Bill Connolly's analytics over at SP Plus on ESPN, he has right now Michigan – his power ratings are not just an, an, a static force but also in relationship to the other teams in college football, okay? And so um, it's it's he's not saying that Michigan 2023 is as good as Georgia 2021 head-to-head, but what he is saying in his power ratings is in, in relationship to the rest of the sport – it's similar to Georgia 2021. In fact, he has Michigan winning 29 to 20 in the Rose Bowl over Alabama. And his his analytics show that uh, that Michigan is the overwhelming favorite to win this playoff. Now, I don't feel that way as a Michigan fan at all, but you know, that could just be this is, you know, people always think that your bias as a fan works in a negative, in a in, in a positive standpoint. Well, sometimes you've got a lot of scar tissue there, too. I mean, I, I've seen better Michigan football teams than this one go out to ro- go out to Rose Bowls and absolutely faceplant. I mean, I, I mean, I, Michigan would have won would have won Bo a couple of national championships in Rose Bowls and went out there and lost Rose Bowl games. They had no business losing. I mean, one year Michigan went out there. Uh, as, like, a three touchdown favorite over seven and four Warren Moon in Washington, and just needed to win to win the national championship and, and fell down 21 to nothing and lost that game outright. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of scar tissue. As much as we love the Rose Bowl as a venue, and I'm going out there with my family and I can't wait to go, um, there is, there, it, it's a love hate relationship. I mean, the results are not often favorable, but the setting always is. <laughs> all right. So, kind of what's your big picture view of all of that?
1: Well, since we will get down to the details in the next few weeks, I think it's probably, I'm guessing some of your your uh, anxiety comes from the aura of Nick Saban in this Alabama sure. giant. It yeah. just seems as though Nick Saban can do no wrong, and if he has time... And it's almost like just the dread of college football across the board that if they lose a game at some point during the season, oh, let's do anything possible. Let's just hope that they stay out of the playoffs, keep them out of the playoffs regardless. But if they sneak in a la 2017 or get another uh, a life like 2011 and then, of course, not likening Jim Harbaugh in his preparation to Les Miles, uh, because that would be a slap in the face to, to Harbaugh, but still uh, a, just a legendary LSU team that doesn't get its due because of what happened in the BCS championship game, but went through a schedule unlike um, few we've seen in the history of college football. But when Nick Saban got a full month, then it wasn't even a game that mm-hmm. second time around. So he's just done this over and over and over, and there's just this aura that they're now in and they're going to be impossible to deal with. So there's that. And then obviously, although the stakes haven't been for the majority of Harbaugh's tenure have not been this great, although they have been the last two years, he obviously hasn't won a bowl game since 2015. And so you think, okay, well, this has happened in the playoffs. This has happened in New Year's six games. And this has also happened in the likes of the Outback Bowl. So is it about preparation? Is it about detail and process and the things that they do leading up to the game that he Mm -hmm. really needs to be able to examine and fix? And so when you put those two contrasts together, yeah, there is concern.
0: I was on an SEC show earlier this week, and, and I drew this analogy. I want to get your take on it. That this is essentially original vintage Sabin Bama versus new edition saban Bama. That this is essentially what Alabama was from 2008 to 2000 and or for, to 2008 until Lane Kiffin showed up as OC. That this is what Alabama was. That's who we are now. And, and now we're now Alabama, post Kiffin Alabama is playing pre Kiffin era Alabama. You like that analogy?
1: Well, I think it certainly works on the Alabama side. I don't know that it works on the Michigan side. I don't know that they've taken those kind of strides as a passing attack or in their approach to offensive football. So I wouldn't necessarily go to that degree. I, no, I, mean, they were- I
0: mean, we are the physical vintage running the ball downhill version of Alabama originally when guys like Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram were there. And okay. now Alabama is the Lane Kiffin you know we're going to we're going to throw the ball horizontally as much as we're going to run the ball downhill it's more of a new a new age version of alabama that's what i meant by that
1: yeah i think they're pretty much there obviously they've drawn they've pulled back from that uh because of the quarterback situation and not having a polished I don't want to call him not a future NFL quarterback because uh, that league is certainly accepting of that and has flourished with that type of quarterback in the last five years. So he probably does have a pretty bright uh, future in the NFL, but the way he's used is obviously still not at the level of a Mac Jones or a Tua Tanka uh, of being able to carve up a defense. Uh, they want to keep him in that 20 to 22 passing attempt range. But yeah, there's certainly... Uh, a correlation there. Yep.
0: Final thing, the committee and the controversy with Florida State. I, I just, I just have a hard time with you win 13-0 and and won your league and didn't make the playoff because of the perception of who you are now. And the whole thing, well, Georgia is favored by 15 over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Well, I don't know, last week at this time, Washington was a 10-point underdog to Oregon. You know, when do the results of the games themselves actually matter? And and I, I thought, at, the more I thought about it overnight, I originally had Florida State rated fourth. I actually thought the next morning they ought to be number three. That the top three spots ought to go to the undefeated conference champions and the three one-loss teams ought to vie for that fourth spot. And I think, Mark, and I'd love to get your take on this, whether you agree or disagree with that, I think if this were not the last year of the four-team playoff, Florida State would have made it. I think if the system were going to remain as it is, they no way wanted to set a precedent that you could go 13-0 in a major conference and not get in. But I think the fact that this format is going away gave them just enough um, intellectual freedom to go against maybe the tradition, let alone their own conscience, and put Alabama in. And, um, or maybe that's not fair because I think Alabama has a playoff resume. Take Florida State out. You know, this is a unique year where we had, really, if you throw Ohio State in there, you know, who was who was number one or number two in every playoff ranking and then lost on the road with the ball with a chance to win against the current number one team. We had seven teams this year that had playoff resumes, you know, which to me means it's even more important than to take the three teams that did everything right. Everything, everything you're supposed to do from the time you start winter lifting in January at 6 a.m., these three teams did everything right. Florida State, Michigan, and uh uh and Washington did everything right. And I think because we had so many teams with good enough resumes, that should have put more of an emphasis on the teams that did it on the field. And then you and then get subjective about the one-loss teams. And I think they would have done that if this weren't the last year of the four team playoff, setting a precedent moving forward that you can do that. I I don't think that they would have done that. And and under any other circumstance, what are your thoughts?
1: I'll be as brief as possible, Steve, because I could go on with this for hours and hours because there is a difference between whom any of us believe are the four best teams in the country and then the four that earned it. I still believe that Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, in some order, are the best teams in the country. But that would not be my decision for a playoff because what i think versus what has been earned are two different things mm-hmm. so let's understand this whatever florida state does against georgia in this bowl game neither repudiates nor validates the decision by the college football playoff selection committee so i don't want to hear anything after they win or lose or whatever happens there that has nothing to do with the selection here Let's also understand that Florida State went into this championship weekend taking on a Louisville team that was ranked number 14 by the same committee, Florida State's at number four. Texas is number seven. They took on the committee's number 18 team. And yes, did they beat beat them more decisively by 28 points versus 10 points? Yes, but in no way have we ever seen a team drop from number four and be supplanted by a number seven team. So you're ranked three spots higher. You defeat a team that's four spots higher and you lose your spot. So that's one thing. The other thing is this whole quarterback situation. I get the rationale that that, uh, Florida State is not the same team under Jordan Travis. That is obvious for all of us to see. However, had the committee been evaluating that quarterback situation, then why did they not evaluate it the week before after the poor performance on offense against there you Florida? Go. Yep. So they didn't do
0: that. And then on top of that, it's just. If that's a they great are- point. Let's, let's pause right there. I've not heard this point made enough what you just said, because that's vital. They could have done it right away. They didn't. They then do it after that kid doesn't play because of a concussion and the third stringer has to play in in a driving rainstorm in terrible conditions and florida and and florida state still covers the spread it was 2 they still won by 10 they choose to penalize them when they after they actually show more depth at quarterback after after, after they're able to show they can do more even they can they can win against an even better opponent in even tougher conditions without their star quarterback that's when they choose to penalize them that is a great point mark and especially because the one thing we've seen this committee do throughout, throughout the years is, is try to, in advance, create retcon situations to avoid getting boxed in. Florida State had barely 200 yards of offense against Florida, barely 200 yards, trailed much of that game. If there was a moment right then and then to think ahead and say, all right, this team just can't do it, that would have been the moment, right, to set themselves up to avoid this argument, and they didn't do that, actually. That's a great Think point. about this as well steve the committee tells us florida
1: state is a completely different team in quotes that's their statement they are a completely different team with jordan tripp is there especially with the point that you just made about there being seven or if you include oregon eight legitimate uh playoff contending teams is there a lot of difference between ranking them number four and number five if you are true to your rankings and your opinion in evaluation of these teams, and they are a completely different team, rank them 13th, 17th. Mm-hmm. They're a completely different team at number five than number four. Mm-hmm. And I also believe, Steve, along what you're talking about in regards to uh, what they would have done anyway uh, or not done in a 12-team uh, or a uh, you know had the four-team continued. I also believe even though they ranked Florida State at number five and Georgia at number six, had this been Georgia in place of Alabama with Georgia's credentials, mm-hmm. not Alabama's, with Georgia's credentials, that they would have replaced Florida State with Georgia and they would have done the same thing with Georgia, even though they ranked Florida State five and Georgia six. I think that was just window dressing to say we can heavily consider them. It was close. They were right there just to placate them. And I think they would have done the same thing with Georgia.
0: Excellent points, Mark. Good stuff, man. I knew you were the right guy to ask about this. Good to see you, brother. We'll uh, go more in depth on the Rose Bowl matchup next week, okay? Sounds good, Steve. Thanks for having me. You bet. See you then. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you what one word best describes What you think of Michigan, Alabama in the Rose Bowl for the college football playoff. 64% of you said excited. 31% of you said worried. 5% of you said going. And that would be my vote. Weather permitting, because you never know whether you can fly out of Iowa at the end of December or not. Uh, But uh, our family is going uh, to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl for the first time. And man, we cannot wait. Cannot wait. That experience getting to... To see that 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 setting, I mean, you're talking about two of the five greatest programs of all time, playing in square, playing each other and squaring off within the greatest setting of all time. Just a truly magical moment. We'll break the we'll break the game down from an X's and O's standpoint next week with our Rose Bowl preview, which will be our final episode of 2024, or I'm sorry, of 20 before 2024, our final episode of 2023. But for now, just. I want to bask in the tradition the revelry, can't wait uh Harbaugh and Saban all week long in the media, the hype train will be unreal just just phenomenal uh, if if you're any kind of college football fan i mean that's that's what you love about this sport. can't wait to go, which brings us to our feedback of the week. Phil Swedberg speaks for all of us when he says. America's team. Absolutely. We are America's team. And that was probably Jimmy's greatest troll, which is saying something, because Jimmy is a master troll. But when he dropped the America's team, all the right people were absolutely triggered by that. So, brother, I appreciate you resetting that. Thank you. Although, if you look at the TV ratings, man, when we play, we might be America's team for real. But that's a topic for another day. All right, let us know what you think about what we think here. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, follow. If you're on iTunes uh, right here, we appreciate that. Uh, Or if you're watching on YouTube, when you do those things, it helps us to find more Michigan fans just like you. And so thank you to all of you that have done those things for us on Michigan Podcast already. We've got one more episode left before we head out to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl. One more episode this year left, I should say. Uh, In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter in between episodes at Michigan Podcast on Twitter. Until the next time, when we preview the run for the Roses, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.